Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash bpshow, patreon.com slash bpshow. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash Show. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. This is Sabrina Siddiqui here, your guest host this Friday, political reporter at The Guardian. And it's been a while since I've seen you guys, so happy to be here. And we've got a great show ahead to round out the week. Comey, Comey, Comey is the name of the game. Uh, ousted FBI director, uh, first real, I'd say, not, con- not the first controversy of the Trump administration, but... <sighs> Certainly uh, one that's raised alarms of a di- on a different level, and we'll be dissecting that and so much more with our great guests. But first... This is the full court. You seem sure about that now. I, w- I wasn't sure if I was supposed to go or not. Well, yes, indeed, just a couple of other stories making news. Uh, Sabrina, do you eat avocado toast? Yes. It's delicious, right? It is. it is. It's actually my index for whether or not a town is like burgeoning or not. All right. <laughs> Have you ever cut yourself making your avocado toast? I don't make it myself. Was it I... too hard to make avocado toast? No, I just. I have cut myself slicing a tomato while oh. making avocado toast as a topping for avocado uh-huh. toast. Well, here's the thing. There is a rise in people who are going to the hospital because they have cut themselves. and Doctors are calling it avocado hand oh god because <laughs> seriously because you take your avocado of course you cut it in half and then you hold it and usually like the right way to do it is take your knife and whack the pit take it out and then you slice it right and a lot of people do it while they're holding it in their hand but if you're not careful and you don't know how to handle a knife you could slice right through the avocado and right into the palm of your hand which a lot of people are doing Avocado toast is very popular these days. Here's this the th- reminds I- me of texting tendonitis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is like a thing that happens now where people who text a lot get tendonitis in their thumbs, so yeah. I've heard. But yeah. when I cut an avocado, I use a butter knife because I know of the risk of using an actual knife. Oh, Because wow. you can My- cut through an avocado with a butter knife. Well, there you have if it. If it's ripe, you can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So basically, you should be teaching courses in avocado toast safety. I would love to to teach a avocado <laughs> hand prevention course. I use the sharp knife because you got to cut it in half, but then you got to you got to use the sharp knife to whack the pit to get it out. 
and then I just use it to slice. Use it a up. spoon. It's the second chef. tool there. Master Chef Peter Ogburn. That's one, what you should do. One tool Ogburn over That's here. Should, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why, why, why make another dish to clean? Hey, uh, United Airlines is in more trouble. This was last night at the George Bush Intercontinental Airport in Houston, Texas. A scorpion was found on the plane. It's the second nice. time in less than a month that a scorpion has been found on a United flight. Uh, a re- passenger reported seeing a scorpion oh god, crawling out of another passenger's clothing uh. as they were preparing to take off from Houston to Ecuador. Oh, so goodness. everybody is fine. No one had been stung. They even examined the passenger that the scorpion was spotted on. And uh, everybody's okay. Because on the other United flight, the guy actually got stung. Yeah, this didn't happen. Because ever but seen it a was like a wasp thing. It wasn't poisonous. What'd you say? You ever seen a scorpion in real life? I have actually. Yeah, they're they're weird looking. They are they're weird demons. I have not they are actually de- literally demons from hell. I would die probably just by looking at one. Just FYI. That's fair. Yeah. R.I.P. <laughs> We go to uh, Montreal. Have you ever seen that? I've seen this happen here in the metro where people, like, when they're joking around with their friends, they act like they're going to throw them on the tracks, like, push them, and then, like, pull them back, you know? like Not a good joke. Not a good joke. As a matter of fact, in Canada, a judge sentenced a man to five months in prison because he pretended to throw someone onto the metro tracks, came up behind a stranger, pushed the guy, and then pulled him back immediately and said, I just saved your life. The guy did not find it funny. The police didn't find it funny. He's going to jail for five months. Don't do that. Don't be dumb. Next time they're going to jail the guy that tries to throw you Evergreen into a pool. Evergreen advice. Don't be <laughs> yeah, dumb. Right. They, Don't they be should, dumb. Yeah. The person who fake throws you into a pool, they should go to jail for even longer. My cell phone's in my pocket. <laughs> On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. All righty. Great to be with you on this Friday, and even with Peter over here. Even with even Peter with over Peter. here. <laughs> Sabrina, can I just say, it's been a while. It's been a while uh, since I've sat in this chair. And thank you for uh, being here. It's so nice to have you here. It's so nice to be here, especially in this very uneventful week. Listen. Yeah. Did something happen this week? There's too much stuff going on. I don't... Stuff happened. I don't like this. That stuff, as you guys might recall, is the abrupt firing of James Comey, FBI director who, you know, in a pretty rare, I think, this is pretty rare that an FBI director is a household name. (laughs) Yeah. But but given his involvement in the election, uh, first, of course tasked with investigating Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server as Secretary of State, the infamous letter on October 28th indicating he was reopening that investigation 11 days before the election only to find nothing new to report. Uh, Of course, regarded as the moment that swung the election decisively away from Hillary Clinton and in favor of Donald Trump, all so that now President Trump could relieve Comey Suddenly, of his duties, because, well, we don't really know why, except we sort of do, because as much as the White House tried to insist, this had nothing to do with the fact that Comey was investigating uh, potential ties between Trump and Russia. The president 
all but said yesterday that, yeah, he'd grown pretty frustrated with him and was going to fire him anyway, regardless of what was recommended by the attorney general and deputy attorney general, which was the initial rationale the White House gave. that This was a recommendation from the Department of Justice. This is not us. Uh, actually, Trump sat down in a, an unusual, even by his standards, interview with NBC's Lester Holt. And um, he, this is how he broke down uh, the events leading up to Comey's dismissal. Regardless of recommendation, I was going to fire Comey. Man, that's remarkable that he would say that. Yeah. That's remarkable that he would say that. Especially because the White House spent the previous 24 hours insisting that this is a decision that was long in the making and Rod Rosenstein and Jeff Sessions, Deputy Attorney General and Attorney General, laid out the rationale that Comey was not adequately fulfilling his duties of all ironic twists where Hollywood at this point is just laughing at the display in Washington saying that it was his handling of Hillary Clinton's uh, email investigation that they took particular issue with, even though one could argue that in the end that turned out to be a gift. You know, I'm not totally sure what's going on. I'm really not. And I think at the end of the day, we are just so not used to having a president that is I want to be careful about what I say here. Okay. But like clearly he's not well. Right? right. Like like he is not a well man. Right. And stability, it's, his stability yeah. is once again yeah. being called it, it, into question. Yeah. It absolutely should be called into question. There are a lot of people who think that's out of line or that's no. inappropriate, but like if you look, I mean no other president has done something so sloppy and so careless. No. And he doesn't even understand that there's a problem when you go to the FBI director who is investigating you and say, I want you to tell me if I'm under investigation. Tell me if I'm under investigation. Which is something he acknowledged He admitted (laughs) to doing. And what you have to remember is the Republican freakout about, and by the way, rightfully so, about Loretta Lynch meeting with Bill Clinton on, on the that tarmac, plane, right? Which was sloppy. While, while they, Hillary Clinton's email investigation was not yet resolved. Sloppy, d- messy, should never have ever happened. And Republicans had a right to make a big stink about that. But the whole argument there was there was an implication that something improper could have been discussed, okay? The difference is Trump just admitted to doing the thing that they were implying would have been very, In fact, very bad. here he is on the record conceding as much. I actually asked him, yes. I said, if it's possible, would you let me know, am I under investigation? He said, you are not under investigation. That is insane. It's, it, what's hard to discuss here or break down is you don't really know whether Trump just is so um, clueless that he doesn't realize that the FBI is a, a posi- the director of the FBI is a position that's an independent position. In fact, uh, the reason they have ten-year terms, which were established by Congress, you know, in the 1970s, was precisely to maintain their independence, so they could serve in administrations under both parties. 
um, and not be just, you know, one particular president's appointee. Uh, or, you know, is, is this all intentional on the part of Trump? And, and as you say, it's so hard to even tell what's going on here. But what we do know based on widespread reporting is, and there's been just terrific reporting around the behind the scenes sure, yeah. um, deliberations and, and just the shock across the Justice Department, even at the White House by their own standards, where oftentimes they don't know what to expect from their boss being blindsided. Uh, by how this has all played out, um, you know, it does seem that from what we know, Comey had requested more resources for the FBI's investigation into Russian interference in the U.S. election, which was the U.S. government has concluded uh, to help propel Trump's candidacy or at least to try and undermine Hillary Clinton's. uh, And part of that investigation is whether or not there was collusion on the part of the Trump campaign there has not been evidence yet of collusion, uh, but Comey had requested more resources. The Justice Department denies that's the case, although the problem here is both the White House and the Justice Department have a credibility problem. And uh, Comey, also now we learned from a New York Times report last night, because we're talking about how remarkable it is for Trump to ask him if he was under investigation. Uh, Comey, through associates, has now leaked to the New York Times his own telling of that Dinner, one of the conversations which occurred over dinner, where apparently Trump asked Comey repeatedly if he would pledge his loyalty. loyalty. And Comey repeatedly said, I will give you my honesty. I will pledge you my honesty, which is what it is his job to do. It's not good enough. For not good enough. And uh, the White House is, of course, not surprisingly disputing Comey's telling of this, which is, of course, not from Comey's mouth directly, but associates. Um, (laughs) But, you know, that is also within of itself telling of once more uh, how Trump views his the power of the presidency um, and and having a willful uh, disregard for the separation of powers and, you know, the independence of the nation's top law enforcement agency. It, we have a real problem. Like, this is a very <laughs> serious problem. No, Houston, I, like, Houston, we have a problem. No, it is a legitimate... No, and, like, and, and, and I know that Democrats seem to keep waiting for the thing that are going to turn yeah. Republicans against Trump. Poll numbers. And, and that and really <laughs> yes, is. Like, it he is. Said, he said, what was it? Like, I, I, I got it. I, I can answer this one. Yeah. If Poll he gets numbers. below, what, 30? Well, one of the things that just uh, was revealed in an NBC News Survey Monkey poll yesterday is that something like 70% of Republicans back Trump's decision to fire Comey. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I, I it is a bad look at best the way that he's handled the Comey thing. At best. Yes. It's been sloppy and careless and and just not a good look overall. The optics, no. as they say, the optics. are very bad. But, like... Republicans are not going to find religion and say, oh, well, I I had no idea Donald Trump was capable of such atrocities. I think the president uh, looked at the situation and made a decision that a president can make, which was to remove the FBI director. That's it's within his rights and prerogatives as president. And the the White House has given Republicans plenty of ammunition. That was, of course, House Speaker Paul Ryan. Yeah. Who is actually one of Trump's biggest advocates, it turns out. But because he was remember. the one that I know, but I mean, you have to remember what he is motivated by seats in 
in the House of Representatives and tax reform and repealing and replacing Obamacare. Um, but actually, your point here, and it goes back to the, the outcry when Loretta Lynch um, was seen uh, or was, you know, was on that tarmac and with Bill Clinton. It's it's actually r- remarkable how muted the response has been from Republicans. Like you say, I think people are waiting for for them to suddenly ditch Trump as though this is a realistic expectation. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So you've heard, you know, the usual suspects, McCain uh, saying he might be open now to special prosecutor. I think that maybe one of the um, reactions that was a little unusual was even Richard Burr, the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, who whose committee is uh, conducting its own separate but parallel investigation into Trump-Russia ties. Uh, you know, he said this undermines and makes more complicated and already very difficult inquiry. Uh, but at the same time, no one is actually stepping up the game and saying, at least on the Republican side, we are going to hold up nominees. We are going to boycott hearings. We are going to grind the business of the Senate to a halt until we get answers, until we get, you know, some a, a commitment to a special prosecutor uh, until there is some sort of seriousness that the White House treats this matter with, uh, they very much are falling in line. Um, and as you heard Paul Ryan, also Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, uh, both threw their support behind Trump's decision immediately after. So, you know, I do think, like you say, um, this is this is just a a moment that I actually won't be surprised if it passes by next week and we move on to something else. And then it comes somewhere, it'll come back, and then it'll come and go in ebbs and flows. Uh, But I also think that, you know, can you imagine if Obama had fired Comey in the midst of that Clinton email investigation? Or can you imagine if Hillary Clinton were president and in one of her first acts in that position fired Jim Comey? Like Q impeachment talk in three, two. Yeah, it one. would be it would be a national crisis. I mean, they would shut down everything. Republicans would shut down everything if that was the case. I mean, I Republicans not in the in Congress, but you know those who are more casual observers on the sidelines, uh, talking talking heads, if you will, uh, have actually gone on television to say, "Oh yeah, you know, if Hillary Clinton had done this, we'd." call we'd some call for impeachment so so certainly um a you know a, a double standard and also just a i think a a real questionable moment as to what you could actually trust from in terms of this white house um it's overseeing agencies that are tasked with upholding the constitution and in creating stability in this country or keep maintaining stability in this country. And, you know, there's been echoes of Watergate. Look, we're not there yet. Uh, you know, again, because we just don't know if is he actually trying to cover something up or is he just this uh, sensitive that he was peeved with Comey and then fired him. Um, and we, we just don't have enough to connect the dots. But the fact that the president would decide 
that he's bothered, personally bothered by the FBI director, and that is enough grounds for dismissal. Uh, that is that has that is a chilling effect. As we talk, I look at Fox News and it says Clinton controversy. Will Comey firing impact the closed email case? Alternate universe, which over there. is the most ridiculous take on the news of the day. Uh, to get to a point that you you just made, I really do think next week we will have moved on from this. Yeah. The, the the difference is between the, I mean this is a big deal it is and it's not just one of these like crazy Trump things that he threw out and the but the difference the difference now is we're building a narrative yes it's been a hundred eleven days hundred twelve days uh, and we built this narrative that he doesn't know what he's doing he doesn't know how to lead he doesn't know how to govern he doesn't know the laws I mean like. Asking the FBI director if you are under investigation is wildly inappropriate, and yeah. he doesn't understand that. And you know what his biggest takeaway was yesterday? Was he found an old tweet that Rosie O'Donnell had written <laughs> saying, fire Comey from back when Comey should actually probably have been fired. This is another thing, though. Go ahead. And he retweeted it and said, we finally agree on something, Rosie. So he brought back his beef with Rosie O'Donnell from 10 effing years ago to fight this battle. It's crazy person. He's out of his mind. Well, the, the thing he's about a, he's a disturbed well, man. Well, the thing about this whole line that, oh, well, Democrats were against Comey before they were for him or critics of Trump were against Comey before they were for him. It just wholly overlooks the issue here. And there are some Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, who are adopting that line and trying to adhere to the White House's spin. And Democrats, it's true, some of them did call for Comey to recuse himself from the investigation. There were certainly Democrats who felt that he should have been removed from his position or were or that he should have stepped down from his position as after his handling of the Clinton letter and in, in essence you know 11 days before the election without much explanation providing the public with uh, this controversy so to speak without really explaining what was behind it and never saying a word on the fact that Trump was also simultaneously under investigation or that his campaign was, uh, but there's a just tremendous difference between saying, oh, Comey should, should recuse himself and the president who is under investigation firing the person who is leading that investigation. Like, it, it, you, you're not, you don't have to be a genius to see what the difference is there. But somehow, it can somehow, be- somehow that argument is being put out by apologists or supporters of Trump that, well... You know, Chuck Schumer said Comey should recuse himself. Well, Comey recusing himself is, is just an entirely different thing from Trump firing Comey. This is this well, also gets down to the simplistic nature in which Donald Trump is running our country. It can be true that Democrats thought that James Comey was unfit to run the FBI. I yes. believe that, too. I yes. think he was unfit for the job. I think he should have been fired last summer. Yeah. It can also be true that Donald Trump is not capable of asking the sitting FBI director, am I under investigation, and then making the decision single-handedly to fire that man. Those things can both be true. 
It's but, not appropriate what Donald Trump did. It's just not. It's not. And, you know, I think that the other issue that emerged, of course, was we saw more of Sarah Huckabee Sanders this week, who is uh, the deputy to Sean Spicer. Um, now, first and foremost, she made the rounds on morning TV yesterday. Uh, let's take a listen to some of what she had to say first. The findings in the letter, in the recommendation, were original thoughts by Mr. Rosenstein. That's the, that's the, the big point here. Uh, and I think we're trying to get lost in the process. We're trying to get lost in the process. Now, again... The process the, matters. The process matters. But also, she spent about, you know, she spent an entire press briefing on Wednesday focusing on the Rosenstein letter and really trying to pin this on the Justice Department, that the FBI lost faith in James Comey, which, you know, is not true according to all the other accounts, that, you know, this was a recommendation, a formal recommendation, and the president was simply uh, heeding that recommendation, that this had nothing, again, this had nothing to do with the president's own personal attitude toward Comey. It was a decision that was made, almost trying to essentially say what you, what you, what you were just stating, that had more to do with Comey's fitness for the job. And then, then, of course, hours later, that is when Trump yesterday goes um, on TV with Lester Holt and the line we played earlier, well, I was going to fire him. Regardless, regardless of recommendation, I was going to fire Comey. I mean, that that is a stunning quote. It's a stunning, it's a stunning quote, but say. it's also another example of the fact that this is also a White House that has an enormous credibility problem because day in and day out, someone gets behind that podium yeah. and and actually just there's no other word for it, lies repeatedly. And, you know, when when. Sarah Huckabee Sanders had to face the press again after Trump's interview with Lester Holt. She says, well, when I briefed you yesterday, I was operating off the information I had. I hadn't had a chance to have the conversation directly with the president to say uh, I'd had several conversations with him, but I didn't ask that question directly. Had you already made that decision? I went off of the information that I had when I answered your question. So she is briefing. They're rewriting it. As they're they rewriting along. it in they're real making time. It up as they she go was getting along. notes during the press briefing. Yeah. And she was getting yeah. notes yeah. in the press. They're, like they're briefing. literally Rubbed making up. it up in real time. Like, but the fact—I mean, she actually just admitted, uh, which is within and of itself stunning—that she is briefing the press, but also the p- American public, because this is you know a televised briefing going out to millions of people across the country. Um, she is doing this off of inaccurate information. But um, I didn't ask that question directly. Or without having a conversation with the president and without being able to adequately portray his thinking. And that is not true for previous administrations. Even the Bush administration, at the height of the Iraq war, the press secretary was still communicating the president's talking points or yeah. the White House's well, talking points. I was actually, and they were, I mean, you know, even when there are falsehoods um, that are coming out of, you know, the rationale for that war and the, you know, the intelligence that was the basis for for that war, 
uh, they're still on the same page with George W. Bush, right? It's not like, oh, we don't know what he's saying over there in this interview that we're not really private to, and now he's just flipped the whole script, and now we just have to make it up in real time. You know, you mentioned George Bush. It's it's funny because George W. Bush was uh, terrible at policy, but was very good at politics. Yes. Really. And I would argue that Barack Obama was great on policy and bad at politics. And Donald Trump happens to be a rare combination of being terrible <laughs> at policy and terrible at politics. He's a total, he's a total disaster. So, like, Bush was able, I mean, Bush won re-election. We look back at Bush as one of the worst presidents we ever had. He won re-election with relative ease because he, <laughs> he was good at politics. Barack Obama won re-election with relative ease because, I mean, he, he had the electoral politics down. But in terms of governing as a president, I think he had some shortcomings. Donald Trump is a disaster on both ends. Well, he doesn't the, know what he's doing and he doesn't know what he wants to do. And the question becomes, does this actually hurt Next year, as voters take to the polls yes. in the midterm election. Yes. Well, well, we're going to see. Well, look, if <laughs> Democrats are smart, they'll 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 find uh, their voice to say we can't trust Republicans to govern. We let George W. Bush govern, and look at what happened. Well, this we is... let we let Donald Trump uh, govern, and look at what's happened in a year. You know, this is their argument that they'll be able to make next year. Things aren't going to get better. This is who he is. That cake is baked. He is not going to find religion and all of a sudden start running a competent, uh, efficient White House. Not going to happen today, next year, second term, ever, never, never. Can you believe it's only been four months? No. It feels like four years. Like, I actually am just trying to foresee how he survives through November 2018. Like, I mean, it just seems like such a long time. Yeah. And I I almost feel like he'll just get bored. He already is bored. Like, he already said, which was also remarkable a couple weeks ago, that, oh, the presidency's not all that it was made out to be. It's actually a lot harder than he thought it would be. He's not really as into it as he thought it would be. And I'm just trying to imagine how much will happen between now and November of next year. I mean, that is um, a year and a half. I don't. But I don't know. I We're going to have plenty more to break down with a great group of guests and quickly just switching gears, Peter, for a little bit of a fun note before we head to break. Are you going to Wizard Celtics tonight? A little birdie told it, me. It actually looks like I am going, yes. It looks like it looks you are going. going what? I'm and very excited about what? I can only assume. You're going to the game tonight? I think so, yeah. <laughs> uh, the longing on Jamie's <laughs> face couple, behind couple, you. A couple tickets fell puppy, into my lap. Puppy dog eyes. A couple tickets fell into my lap yesterday. I think I might go. <laughs> I didn't catch an invite. We're going to do this on air? Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is awkward. Uh-oh. No. Wow. This is awkward. I gotta find I'm, I'm I gotta assuming figure, you're rooting for Washington. I gotta figure out who I'm gonna take. I got I got an extra ticket. I don't know who I'm gonna take. Wow. So but I'll, you know, I'll figure I, that I out. I think I could clear my calendar. Do you wanna go? She's a Lakers fan. Do don't do go? this. You should go. Don't do this. <sighs> oh, that would just be mean. I actually already went. I, I went to uh game three. Man, and, and I congratulated Peter on his Spurs winning the series last night. Spurs did win the series last night. I get night this treatment. Without Kawhi Leonard. By like I they just, won the game by like forty uh, points. Yeah. Well, 
Will Jamie Benson make it to game six? Oh, they have tickets on sale. You can grab tickets. Yeah, sure. yeah, For $300. You ever heard of a... StubHub, man. StubHub.com. You hear about this? You just go on you just you get just tickets. You just go on? Am I getting my Christmas bonus today? Is that what's happening? <laughs> we should talk to Graham Bice. I'm going to play you, you guys out. Yeah, he's kicking okay. us off. Yeah, uh, Jamie's uh, going to shut it down now, but we will be back after this break with Graham Vice of the New Republic, so stay tuned. He's a showboat. He's a grandstander. The FBI has been in turmoil. You know that. I know that. Everybody knows that. Get social with Bill Press. Like us at Facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Welcome back to The Bill Press Show. Sabrina Siddiqui here, political reporter at The Guardian, filling in for Bill on this Friday. And joining us now in studio is Graham Weiss, staff reporter at New Republic. Good morning, good morning. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. And uh, Twitter at Graham Weiss and his work at NewRepublic.com. Calm. Graham, we have been breaking down Comey, Comey, Comey. All of the craziness. All of the craziness. <laughs> a, a light week, one might say. Exactly right. Slow um, news week. And actually, you know, we spent a lot of time kind of talking about the dis- events leading up to the decision, the president's wild admission that he was directly discussing the investigation with Comey or whether or not he was under investigation but you um, actually looked at who might or who may or may not replace Jim Comey. And one of the familiar names that was immediately raised within political circles was Chris Christie. Chris Christie. Cue <laughs> that. Now, you He's back. Have, and you have a story. He's back. <laughs> Chris Christie would be the, quote, worst choice in the world, end quote, for FBI <laughs> director. Yeah, I, I, I thought, you know, it might be interesting to sort of take the temperature of some longtime Christie watchers in New Jersey on, you know, this notion of him for FBI director. And it did not go well. I mean, basically, I talked to um, uh, talked to uh, Matt Katz, who wrote a biography of Christie. I talked to the uh, editorial page uh, uh, editor of uh, the biggest newspaper in the state. And basically, they all, you know, talked about how, you know, we've been you've all been talking about this question of loyalty and how Trump yes. seems to want an FBI director who would be, you know, sort of. Uh, unfailingly loyal to him, which is not the job of the FBI director. Yeah. But uh, but all of all of these folks I talked to basically pointed out that Christie, since he uh, dropped out of the presidential race last year and endorsed Trump, uh, has been sort of there's been almost no Republican in the country who's been more self-sacrificingly, you know, absurdly <laughs> loyal to this guy. And so if we're looking uh, for Trump to uh, to pick an FBI director who uh, you know would actually allay people's fears about uh, you know a- any potential scandal, Christie would be like the last person you'd want in the job. It it really is amazing what Trump did to Christie. Can we just we'll go to that in a moment. But you as a president are facing potential uh, charges. Let's say let's not say charges because it's actually a legal term. But you are being accused 
of possible corruption. Right. And your response to that would be Mr. Bridgegate. You would be yeah. Yeah. name Chris Christie yeah. as the as the director of the FBI. Peter, you were saying. Well, I mean, the the what Chris Christie did during the uh, primary is remarkable. To come out and endorse Trump, I mean, early. He, he, way early. Yeah. I mean, he staked everything mm-hmm. on being a Trump guy. He did, and I think he thought he was going to be Attorney General. I think he thought he was going to be somewhere well, in is, the mix. This is the other wrinkle. He had nothing, right? I mean, this he is the other wrinkle. The, the guy. I mean, he was. Uh, he headed the transition team. Then he was fired from that. Yeah. He right. he uh, he was supposed to, you know desperately. I think he. I'm pretty sure he said publicly, sort of uh, expressed publicly that he wanted to be Attorney General, or that, or that he was disappointed that he hadn't you know gotten the job. In essence, he was probably promised that job, and then man, Trump. Took it out from under him. But, Took it out from but under him. But he, I mean, the the uh, his approval rating in New Jersey, I mean, it's it's really stunning. I mean, I think the last number I heard was something like 18%. Oof. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So I do think, you know, this is sort of his, maybe the, his last ticket, you know, uh, his, his last lifeline, you know, out of, out of New Jersey moving forward. Um, Not to mention, you still have to undergo... A, pro- a confirmation process. Well, right. So this is, I mean, this is a confirmable post as well. It's <laughs> right. not that, you know, Trump can just name any, um, you know, FBI director he so chooses. Right. Um, and I, I'm not entirely sure that the Senate would confirm Chris Christie. Uh, well, actually, I mean, I think this could be a problem for any number of people that, right. that Trump put, puts forward, right? So, you know, now that we know that one of the uh, qualifications or prerequisites that Trump wants for an FBI director is someone who's going to be a yes man, who's going to be you know unfailingly loyal. I mean, doesn't that sort of raise questions about anyone he would put forward? I mean, I had one source say to me, you know, it's maybe it's less a Chris Christie issue and just that anyone who Trump would appoint to this position is going to be someone who presumably has promised him, you know, to, to you know, to be on his side, right? Which is, just, so it, it's just the whole process is now called into question. Yeah. And, and, you know, as history has shown, if Jared Kushner has anything to do with it, right. <laughs> I'm going to guess Chris Christie doesn't get oh, this job. you know what? We're missing the obvious, we're missing the obvious uh, answer here. Jared Kushner will be the new FBI director. There we go. <laughs> You heard it here first. Jared yeah. Kushner, yeah. the most well-liked son-in-law yeah. in the history of son-in-laws. The widest portfolio in the history of portfolios. <laughs> like, what can't he do? But no. Uh, Jared. No, I mean. So- no, Sabrina. I'm not going to let you get away with that one. No. Sorry, I'm going to have to take that one back from you. Yeah. You know, I mean, Chris. Chris- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's we fun. like to have a little fun here on a Friday morning. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Christie Christie had a background when he was when he was uh, a U.S. attorney. Uh, you know, he sort of was elected governor on this idea that he had been, uh, you know, taken on both parties and sort of you know gone after Democrats as well as uh, Republicans. You know, in his prosecutions, but it's it's hard to imagine that that Chris Christie uh, is still alive anywhere. I think you know he's dead and gone. You know, we now have Chris Christie, the the Trump loyalist. You know, who would be. I don't see. I mean, I just, I really, truly, honestly, don't see a way that Chris Christie gets back in with the the, the Trumpies. Yeah, no, I mean, I just don't see how it happens. And and also, I mean, I think you you were alluding to this, but I mean, presumably there were whether it's Bridgegate or Kushner. I mean, the same considerations that prevented him from being Attorney General, 
you know, are st- would still be in play if as they're considering yeah. him for FBI director. So, but I mean, and the other thing is, I mean, we should say like, I mean, it's been reported that he's under consideration. It's not clear how serious that is, but I think just uh, of all of the names that were circulating on these lists, the, the one that seemed most patently uh, preposterous in terms of a like an overtly political pick. Um, Giuliani, by the way, would also fall into this category. I was going to say. Uh, but he insists, you know, there's a, a big story. Uh, you know, he insists it's not going to be him. He doesn't want it. It's not going to be asked. So we, I, I figured, all right, we'll, we'll, uh, we won't interrogate the idea of Rudy for, for FBI director because he seems so adamant that he's not going to be the Can choice. you imagine if the FBI director was someone who dressed up in drag with the president? Oh, my God. <laughs> like, I, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh my just, God. You know, there would be a certain. You it know, would just be too much. That, yeah, I know. Too much going on. Um, you know, I want to ask you, Graham, because this has been such a bizarre week. And as a reporter who's been covering the fallout from Comey, um, what 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 is the conversation that happens in your in the newsroom when you, uh, just before six p.m. <laughs> on on Tuesday, uh, see? You know, the breaking news alert that Jim Comey has been fired by Donald Trump. Well, I think if, and if I remember correctly, it was a pretty slow day yeah. prior to this. So I think, you know, we, we you know, we, we all were just, you know, stunned. And and, uh, and it really I mean, it's been it's been a nonstop news cycle since then. But um, and, 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 you know, you've all been talking about it, but it's sort of development after development. Right. There's this sort of narrative about how which we already knew about how you can't trust really anything the press office says. Right. You have you know, you had uh, Sean Spicer put out a statement, uh, you know, saying that the 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 firing had to do with the recommendations from the Justice Department. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is on television and, and in her press briefing saying that. Um, the vice president, I mean, Mike Pence goes out and talks to reporters and sort of, you know, uh, uh, sort of uh, endorses that explanation. Uh, <laughs> Mike Pence. <laughs> you know? Poor Mike Pence. Mike Pence is just like the biggest loser. I mean, I mean, what? He's an easy mark, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, he's like going out there and just saying anything anybody what, what tells him. And later for, on, it turns out to be it, garbage. What will it take for someone in that White House to just like tell Mike Pence what's really yeah. going on? <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, that guy just has no idea what's happening. Well, either either that or he's just. I mean, you know, it, it really it's, it all seems to come back to these people have just decided that whatever happens, that whatever Trump does. That they're just they're gonna make it work. They're gonna right? make it work. <laughs> you know, so I mean, Pence seems to be that. It's like who's well. going, who who's going to be fired for lying to Mike Pence yeah. this time? <laughs> right, right. Like what? I mean, the president is the like clearly lied to Mike Pence. Yeah, but, but so, Donald Trump has lied to Mike Pence repeatedly. I mean, yes, but, clearly. You know, I think that the the fun part you mentioned too was Sean Spicer being the one of the initial ones to kind of try and uh, place this. A decision on the Justice yeah. Department that happened while he's standing in the bushes, yeah. like outside the White House. <laughs> Although, didn't excuse me, excuse me, among the among the bushes, yes. please. And then they, and then How they, dare you say he was in the bushes? And there's a correction in like the Washington Post or, yeah. or one of those, you know, one of the reports, maybe the Times, or, maybe yeah, the Times I, I, yeah. but maybe basically, the like you know. An earlier version stated he was briefing the press from the bushes. He was actually standing among, among the, bushes. the bushes outside, you know, the White House in the driveway. Which like suggests someone, that someone... Someone fought yeah. with, with the press about whether or not Sean Spicer was briefing people from the bushes. Like, that's yeah. one of the things they're concerned with right priorities. now. Priorities. Priorities. Yeah. Priorities. 
important. Well, you know, it's then important. the other backdrop you have is like, is Sarah Huckabee Sanders stealing his job? Yeah. Yep. You know, I mean, they say that they're all, you know, together in this fight. There's no infighting, but obviously, you know, people couldn't help but interpret. I mean, he, you know, he he had, you know, naval reserve duty. He had to. He he had a reason right. that they had given that he's not going to be the one at the podium. But in this big week, you know, how's she doing? Is she potentially going to emerge as uh, someone who stylistically, right? I the mean, president it, likes better. And I guess there's there's some reporting. I read. I think I read a, a piece in Axios that that he in fact like she was the highlight for him of of, of his staff this week, and he he likes yeah. what she's doing. Um, you know, there. I mean, there. She's gotten some pretty favorable uh, press coverage. I mean, the, you know, it's sort of a low bar. Like, you know, it's all relative, but um, it's all style it, over it, substance. Yeah. But but, but, but that I mean, that matters in that job. Yeah. Actually, I was gonna say. You know, not a single thing that came out of her mouth was true, but she <laughs> she delivered it with a much more convincing, uh, calm, serene, kinda, yeah, you know, congratulations. Kinda, you know, I mean, congratulations I guess, for lying effectively. This is where we are. But but then it's, it's like, sort of the same conversation we have about Kellyanne, right? Yeah, there's yeah. all these pieces about like you know she's so, so such a gift, you know? It's like, yeah. <laughs> so so <laughs> weird. <laughs> so yes. Um, where do you think this goes now? Well, I mean, I, I have to say I, I, I tend to agree with, uh, I guess, what both of you are saying, which is, uh, which is that, it, you know, it may just sort of for now, we may move on from it, uh, you know, but it, it, it does feel like um, a sort of scandal uh, of, of a higher magnitude than, uh, than the previous, you know, uh, in numerous controversies of the Trump administration, innumerable. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we, we have to see where the reporting uh, continues to take us. You know, we have to see uh, whether sort of how, whether or not they, they get someone in, in the FBI who really is going to try to um, downplay or, or interfere with the, the investigation that's going on but uh you know it, it it felt this week you know like a big moment like a moment yeah. uh, you know there's been um and I, I mentioned this to peter some polling initial polling right. um about the impact or potential mm-hmm. impact and one uh nbc survey monkey poll found that so roughly i mean this is roughly but at least 70 percent of republicans back Trump's mm. decision to fire Comey. Now, the conservative media has been a little more split. They have. There's been some really scathing op-eds um, about the way that Trump handled uh, this decision um, and the appearance of, of you know, him trying to cover something up. Is he actually trying to cover something or is he really just this, like, erratic? Who right, knows? Right. Um, but... You know, then there are those who are saying that this is just another example of liberals hyperventilating and holding this president to a higher standard and being hypocritical, and being given hypocritical. that they you know had criticized Jim right. Comey before. So then, you know, what impact does it have? Well, and, and at the ballot box, do you think? I mean, it's it's hard to say, but right. I mean, on the conservative media question, I mean, it has seemed to me that it's fallen fallen along the kind of um, historic. 
uh, lines of like the, the the conservative media that that were never Trump or were more you know sort of Trump skeptical during the campaign. You know those folks, of course, have been highly critical and 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 sort of tried to sound the alarm. But you know Sean Hannity last night, his whole show, uh, it sounds like, was you know Democrats are hypocrites and and you know liberal media bias. Uh, Breitbart, you know, <laughs> I saw a headline of they were focused on how Lester Holt had interrupted Trump. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's the big takeaway. Is it is uh, that... during the interview? Uh, you know, uh, and of, and and so uh, if, among the conservative media, uh, you know, that that has been most favorable to the president, uh, it doesn't seem to have permeated as a as a controversy in terms of the ballot box. I mean, uh, you know, you 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 could certainly see Democrats trying to wield this uh, as an issue. I, I mean, I did see polling that suggests that you know among independents and sort of among like, voters as, as a whole, the polling you know the, the handling of it wasn't viewed well. That I think mo- most people thought um, it was like inappropriate that he had been fired. Um, and so you know perhaps uh, as we see more of these uh, town halls cropping up, including uh, there's this new trend of uh, Democrats going into neighboring Republican districts in this adopted district right. strategy. Well, that's that what I wanted to to kind of ask you about is. It, you know they've been handed lots of moments and lots of controversies. Lots of can they can they capitalize? And so, what is it to adopt a district? What is this play? So uh, last week, uh, Representative Sean Patrick Maloney from New York State um, was on the Rachel Maddow show, and he was talking about how uh, John Faso, who's a Republican uh, congressman mm-hmm. in, in the state. Um, was had voted for the uh, American Health Care Act, the Republican repeal and replacement of the Affordable plan. Care Act, um, and, and then was refusing to hold a town hall that mm. explained his vote. And so there was a lot of uh, you know grassroots pressure. The local indivisible uh, group you know had had uh, created a town hall, uh, set up a town hall to to sort of pressure him on that. And uh, in 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 Faso's district, and so. Uh, Maloney goes to this town hall and speaks to Faso's constituents. I think he had the, sort of a great, o- great opening line. You know, he said, "You know, I'm Representative uh, Sean Patrick Maloney. Where the heck is your congress?" <laughs> I think we've got <laughs> a, I have a question got a for you. I'm Representative Sean Patrick Maloney. Where the heck is your congressman? <laughs> nice. See, the lesson of this is never step on Jamie's sound. Um, but, but, He's got it. But, He's got it. Uh, but uh, no, I mean, so, and so this is a uh, there. And in fact, he's not the only uh, Democratic representative who is planning to do this. I um, just saw Mark Pocan, our friend Mark Pocan, who's been on the show many, many times, is holding a town hall in Paul Ryan's district, which I particularly love since Paul Ryan is Satan. <laughs> yeah, I talked to him for the story, and and he uh, Satan or Pocan. Uh, both, but it was, say, saying it was on background. Okay, got it, got it. Uh, yeah. So, so, uh, so, no. I mean, and 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 Pocan was basically saying, yeah. I mean, I mean, if uh, if Paul Ryan, you know, then and they sort of uh, say the obligatory disclaimer that, of course, you know, if, if Representative Ryan would like to join me at this at this uh, town hall, you know, uh, we would certainly welcome that, him. Do you think that? That's great. Yeah, I, lo- that, I love yeah. that. I think do you think that non Democrats are attending these? Alternative town halls. I think it, I think I don't. I mean, I think or 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 not primarily. I mean, I think it's a lot of sort of uh, uh, 
you know, sort of resistance types, uh, progressives. But I think the value of it is that, as as I, as uh, Pocan said to me, is that when a congressman, you know, goes to uh, a, a town hall in a in a um, neighboring district, there's local media attention. Mm-hmm. You know, it sort of generates a spectacle. I mean, Sean Patrick Maloney. You know, that clip that Jamie just played has been all over all cable over. news. He himself has been, uh, you know, doing interviews in the national press. So it, it seems like a good uh, sort of gimmick or, or, or tactic to uh, attract more attention to the fact that these Republicans in, in often in vulnerable districts voted and, for this bill. you know, a lot of the potential to capitalize on the outcry in res- with respect to his administration right. depends on turnout and totally. Democrats certainly have had a long-standing turnout issue in midterms. Mm-hmm. So, you know, can they actually galvanize their base in the way that Republicans have been able to do, you know, at least in 2010 and 2014, right. um, which, which was a big part of, you know, not just, it's not just about the map having been stacked against Democrats. They also just for, for the life of them, you know, we're able to turn out people for both election of the presidential elections involving Obama and then not get people to turn out in midterms and hand him the majorities he would need. It, it, it's nice to watch this, though, uh, because Democrats don't know how to speak to a lot of voters. I think that is a big, big problem. And I think that more than Russia, more than anything else, is the reason that the presidential election was lost, is that Democrats have forgotten how to speak to their voters. I really believe that. And so to be doing these town halls and showing up and and offering ideas is critical because at some point you can't just keep saying, look at what these Republicans are doing. They don't know how to govern. At some point you got to step up and say, OK, we know what we're doing here and here are our ideas. You've got to do that. I mean, I thought I thought I was struck by uh, and I, I uh you know, I wasn't incredibly familiar with uh, Maloney prior to, to to working on this story, but he was extremely uh, you know confident in this town hall and sort of walked in and like really was a presence and and obviously the you know has, has gotten a lot of attention for it. Um, you know, it, it seemed like a way to kind of take take the power back mm-hmm. and to sort of you know really for Democrats to assert themselves you know in a way in a sort of creative way. Um, and you know, I mean, there seems to be a sense also that. Um, the rules are different. The sort of etiquette of colleagues in in Congress, are, you know, is is different in the age of Trump. I mean, it, uh, one person pointed out to me that you know it it, it might have been in a previous era seen as kind of you know rude or or you know um, you know sort of impolite for for a, a sort of neighboring uh, congressman to to go into the, you, know, the, you know their their a fellow yeah. lawmaker's district and and such sort a of breach of decorum. Yeah, yeah, breach right. of decorum. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it, w- come on, it, at this w- point, legacy. Come on. <laughs> What is the legacy of Trump? Yeah. Yeah. It's not, you know, decorum, decorum is an interesting decline. word. What, yeah. what, what does that mean? Right, exactly. I mean, you know, Graham, I mean, there's obviously a lot of momentum that Democrats feel in this moment. I am struck a little bit by, and I don't mean this in, you know, a flash forward four years kind of talk. I right. mean, it's, it's just too much for me to wrap my head around 2020. No. I mean it more so in the now and uh, in the present who is the leader of the Democratic Party? And does it matter that there is no obvious leader of this resistance movement? 
Yeah, that's a big question. Uh, and it's sort of the answer is kind of evident in the way you asked it, right? I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't think there is a, 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 a sort of obvious leader of the Democratic Party. You know, I think the hope is that this, uh, you know, the resistance and, and the, the energy that's being generated, you know, by the grassroots for now, um, you know, can help to, to sort of carry the party and, and, and that in uh, efforts like adopt a district and and in uh, you know sort of uh, other other ways in which Democrats can partner with with these more independent groups that that's sort of how they harness the energy in the short term. But I do think it is um, you know it is a sort of like medium term concern, right? That mm-hmm. uh, you know the, you you don't have an obvious person uh, to rally around or even you know a set of people. I mean there are um, obviously a host of of sort of uh, new senators or or um, you know potential prospects. I think that. Um, the field for 2020 uh, is actually going to be much more crowded than people. I mean, it's going to be sort of like uh, you could have, you know, dozens of people who end up wanting to run. Because in the past, like, I don't have a shot to win. Well, that's out the window. (laughs) Donald Trump didn't have a shot to win either. Right. Right. I mean, just think about the number of the number of, you know, I mean, uh, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, you know, Amy Klobuchar, Kirsten, I mean, Gillibrand. Kirsten Gillibrand. I mean, it's just, it, you know, and that's just and then there's people that, on the hill that are, yeah, you know, that we right. tend to forget, like Deval Patrick. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and, I mean, we, we it's it's hard to say, really. <laughs> Bernie decides that he actually <laughs> would have won and, you know, <laughs> just, you know, gets back. I mean, you know, I mean, oh, no, boy. you know, uh, I mean, and, and, and obviously Elizabeth Warren, there's people still speculate about her. So so I, I think I think it's, um, you know, when when the time comes, I don't think there'll be a, a shortage of Democratic candidates for president. But for now, uh, it does seem that the resistance is and where the And it could be is. someone just waiting in the wings. Totally. I mean, who... Who would have predicted that Donald Trump would, in fact, finally run for president? Yeah. And, and then it, and win the primary win the nomination, and win the general. Yeah. And, and the general. But uh, yeah, here we are. Here, here we are on that happy note. <laughs> Graham Vice, oh a staff reporter at New Republic. Thank you so much you. for this joining us this morning. This is the Daniel Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Welcome back to the Bill Press Show. Sabrina Siddiqui here, political reporter at The Guardian, filling in for Bill on this kind of gloomy Friday morning. Uh, We've been having a fantastic discussion so far of all of the Comey chaos. We are joined now by Tyler Tynes in studio. We're going to break down so much more with you too, Tyler. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Do you know uh, Dana Point, California? Do you know about Dana Point, California? I it's do like not. Long Beach, California. So it's a popular place where people swim on the beach there. So there were some paddle boarders who were out paddle boarding earlier this week, 
and they were forced out of the water. A helicopter flew over them. They had their megaphone, and they were announcing that there were approximately 15 great white sharks spotted in close oh, proximity okay. to where they were. And I like it, that. I like that. <laughs> I like that. So they just say, uh, if you're paddleboarding, please calmly exit the water because there were they don't, want to, they don't want to freak people out, though. So did they actually? I don't know how so you calmly get out of that. I don't know how yeah. you calmly get out. Like, I'm them? running on the did water. Did they tell them? They said there are sharks spotted in the water. Get out of I'm, the water I'm sure now. the sharks also heard. There was like, yeah, we here. <laughs> we, 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 we out here. We out here. You ever hear that? Like, if you ever see or a shark ever comes close to you, the thing you're supposed to do is punch him in the nose. Well, see, I don't never get that close to sharks. So, like. I've never been that close to a shark. Mm. Like, outside of Congress. So. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just like if the helicopter flies over you that says that there are sharks in the water, get out of the get water. The, yeah, get, get the, the hell out. out of the water. Uh, this is interesting. Attorney General Jefferson Sessions this morning issued a new directive for federal prosecutors mm. across the country. Roll tide. The new ro- man, you had to. Yeah, that hurts me. Uh, Jefferson Sessions has instructed federal prosecutors to charge suspects with the most serious offense that you can prove. This is clearly a departure from the Obama administration, which uh, had sort of um, worked on sentencing reform, sentencing reform, prison reform, reform. criminal justice reform across the board. But uh, Jefferson Sessions put out a one and a half page memo, uh, outlined his new instructions to quote from it. It said uh, the first principle of the Justice Department. Sorry, I got to read this in the right voice. The first principle of the Justice Department is that the prosecutor should charge and pursue the most serious, readily provable offense. Frank Underwood. (laughs) And while we're at it, roll damn tag. Yeah. That's a very Frank Underwood voice. Is it really? Accent. Well. Yeah. Impressive. That. But, you know, this has been a long time coming. Uh, One of the first uh, things we knew about Jeff Sessions was uh, he's a big friend of the police and uh, doesn't actually think criminal justice is even a thing. It's not. Yeah. Right. Ain't a thing. Apparently yeah. not. So here we are. Uh, today is a big day for the box office. The movie King Arthur is going to be opening up. All I'm right. not going to see it, but Warner Brothers is already predicting it is going to be a disaster of a movie. They spent $150 million to make it. As of right now, it has 21 out of 100 on Rotten Tomatoes. It's getting terrible reviews. They actually filmed this back in 2015, and they were going to release it the summer of 2016. But they were afraid of the competition that summer, so they're putting it out now. Why would you... Who sits inside of a an office somewhere, a room full of executives, and says, let's spend $150 million on King yeah. <clears throat> Hold on, I can tell you that. Uh, white folk. <laughs> <laughs> white people. Yeah. <laughs> Guy Ritchie directed this, who has had some real stinkers in his day. But he yeah. is capable of making a good movie. So. He's capable. He's capable of it. By the way, there's a rest. One other final story. There's a restaurant in uh, Pennsylvania that's in a little bit of trouble because they had a celebration. This is in Pittsburgh, a celebration of uh, Quebec food, which includes horse tartare, which you're not technically allowed to serve here in America, but they yeah. served it anyway. And but you got those it. horse meatballs at IKEA. Well, I mean, you're not. There weren't supposed to be horse <laughs> in them. You know, it's not, I mean, you're not buying horse. Meatballs. I'm sure it's horse stuff going on. Yeah. yeah horse meat. Talk. Yeah, exactly. You want to eat horse? Let him be good. It's like our avo toast. All right. We...
on your radio, on TV, and online. This is The Bill Press Show. Welcome back to The Bill Press Show. Sabrina Siddiqui here. And joining us in studio, as you saw, is the great Tyler Tynes, sports reporter at SB Nation, who you should follow on Twitter at Tyler Ricky Tynes. Damn show shit. Yes, and read his work at SBNation.com. Uh, good morning, Tyler. It is great to have you here. What's up? Hey, um, before, because we got a lot of stuff to talk. We got uh, a lot to get through, but. I, I do have a. But first. <laughs> we do have a couple of Trump tweets. Okay. He I is, hope so. He has tweeted this morning. Is he watching or listening to this show? Is that I hope so. What prompted? He might be. He might be. <laughs> Uh, here's Trump from this morning. Again, the story that there was collusion between Russia, between the Russians and Trump campaign was fabricated by Dems as an excuse for losing the election. Mm. The, fake, the fake media fake is working overtime today. Uh. And then he goes, as a very active president with lots of things happening, it is uh. not possible for my surrogates to stand at podium with perfect accuracy. Talk that grease. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Talk that grease. <laughs> mm. That is going to be... A, I think, a pretty legendary. It is Trump not. Quote. Are you haters? Possible for my surrogates <laughs> to stand at podium with, with perfect accuracy. I don't gotta be accurate when I'm talking that good truth. <laughs> <laughs> Grease. <laughs> stick talk. Stick talk. <laughs> I mean, he's nothing. He's a very not, active president. He's, he's not active in these Twitter streets. Yeah. yeah. He's nothing if not consistent. Like, I mean, I, I love to wake up to these very spicy Trump tweets. Yeah, makes the mornings. It goes right next to the, that good Starbucks coffee. <laughs> the, the the thing is, it's it's almost like I don't even know what to do with the tweets anymore. Like they're just part of the new normal. Make a quilt. And uh, <laughs> make a quilt. Out of Trump tweets. Oh gosh, someone somewhere probably already has one. Sell it on Teespring. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tyler, before we get into your great reporting, you like myself are a big NBA fan. I am. We are, you know, nearing the finals, not yet. There are predictions. Predictions. For who? For Eastern Conference Finals. Every everybody in the way. We I, I don't know why these teams still playing. I'm waiting for LeBron and Steph. I, this this <laughs> is this is just like JV basketball. Right. I mean it's really we are just Warriors Cavs. We're just we're like, to that. like that was dope that, you know, the Kawhi less Spurs put up forty on James Harden beard and like Travis Scott got real hype and everything. Like, that was cool. But, like, KD about to dunk his beard on top of his cornrows. So, like, we this this doesn't matter. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, all of this is just, like, premature. Like, the, the Warriors been on a boat somewhere asleep for the last two days. Yeah. Like, like this this doesn't matter. LeBron been sipping Mai Tais in Miami, you know, <laughs> drinking some herbal juice. Like, like tying his do-rag on. It's, none of these games matter. We just gearing up. For the end of this. Now, it would be great if, you know, Gang Gang John Wall was to come out and, you know, win a few more games. And that, that'd be fun. But ultimately, this is Cleveland and, 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 you know, the Warriors. So, like, everything else is just for show. Neither team see, has lost. I want to see months. John Wall and Isaiah Thomas one-on-one and everybody else can sit down. Because those guys are so good to watch. They're oh, yeah. so much fun to watch. Well, I mean, John is fun to watch because John is probably the best point guard in the East. But, like, Isaiah Thomas is one of the best scorers you could ever see. But, like, yeah. I don't want to see a dude like my height, you know, play like mm-hmm. a real grown man in basketball. Like, I don't want to see that. <laughs> well, it's not fun for me. How tall is Steph Curry? Uh, he's, he's, not, he's not as short as he, Isaiah Thomas, he alleged, but he's not exactly. He allegedly 6'3". Oh, allegedly, I think is the no, nobody, nobody is their real height. In, in professional sports, like they say, Isaiah Thomas is like on paper. I think he's supposed to be five nine or five ten. No, there's no. I way. met Isaiah like three years ago, and he wasn't taller than me. So, and listen, how tall are you? I, I'm surely not five ten. Okay, I'll tell you that. 
it is quite remarkable how ugly the rivalry already is between the Wizards and the Celtics. I mean, that escalated quickly. Well, it's not like a rivalry yet. It's just a bunch well, of dudes who don't yeah. like each other who want to fight. Like it's it's yeah. it's the purest form of basketball. <laughs> I don't I don't want to play basketball against you if I don't want to also fight you. Like what's yeah. what's the why are we here? <laughs> uh, Tyler, you know, switching gears to another great sport. You have been covering. Um, you know, the issue of health in the NFL. And, you know, you have this piece, uh, this feature, especially on uh, focused on Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky. And uh, it has to do, of course, with the longstanding debate over concussions. So first and foremost, tell us a little bit about what drew you to the story. Break it down for us, what the, what the premise is. So when I first got to Washington, one of the first things that, when I was working at HuffPost, one of the first things that I kind of, you know, when I was covering a little bit of Congress, and the first, some of the first people I met was Jan Schakowsky. Mm. And learning more about the Energy and Commerce Committee and their actual sports jurisdiction that they don't care about, it was interesting to see like how many times sports actually came into the federal purview and, and like how much they're supposed to generally care about them. Mm. Uh, Congressman Frank Pallone was one of the only people at that time, uh, about last January to March, who consistently said anything about concussions, CTE, opioids, sports betting, anything that dealt with uh, the jurisdiction level of sports in Congress. But uh, in March, around March 14th or so, uh, there was a roundtable hosted by the Energy and Commerce Committee, and Republicans mostly put it on as a checkbox, not even congressional oaths, not even, you know, no one had to actually tell the truth at this mm. thing. Like, it was basically just a bunch of people in a room that nobody knew about just talking. So... To find out that Jan Schakowsky in this three-hour uh, roundtable got the highest-ranking member of the NFL, the highest health official in the NFL, to admit that there was a connection between uh, degenerative brain diseases like CTE and football, that is a massive, massive, massive admission. So to know that happened, um, it was actually a day that me and, and, and Travis Waldron of HuffPost were following this story, and another reporter was in the room, and... We didn't know about this until ESPN put the story out hours later. Hmm. And we were both kind of mad because it was like, you know, damn, we didn't we have somebody in that room? <laughs> so from that moment, you know, Jan kind of became this inadvertent star or, or, or talk box about this issue. It had never been as strong, you know, consistently as that moment. And she took up that mantle, even though it's in the story, as we say, and she's admitted to the fact that she kind of stumbled onto that moment. Mm. So she stumbled onto that moment and then used it as a momentum pusher to go all the way until this year when she's now sent letters about opioids, sent letters to high school football bodies to, to look at their sport, has met with NHL players who can't remember their own first names and have almost lost their relationships mm. because of hits consistent subconcussive to the head. So... It's been interesting not only to see that the admission happened. That's one thing. Great. I'm glad this happened. But the consistency that we saw, mm -hmm. that this kept coming up more and more and more from the federal government. Yeah. Well, we don't generally get that. What's her end goal here? She doesn't have one. Mm. Um, I mean, it's, it's hard as, as a... try to define that, right? right like, like, what do you do? Right. Well, that's, like, that's the question. And that's kind of the thing that, that we broached at the end of the story is that Jan Schakowsky can't force the NFL to do anything. Right. Congress mm. has to generally care. Like bipartisanly care to do something, I, I, like, and that's the thing. You know, we, we had a source in there, a staffer, who basically said that you know you can get 175 Dems on something for Planned Parenthood, but this is not an issue that is going to garner more than 10 people. Man. Leadership is not going to speak about concussions. Leadership is not going to speak about the opioid crisis in the NFL because that would mean that leadership in the congressional bodies in the actual federal government has to give a damn about sports. They have to give a damn about majority black boys and black men playing games mostly to white audiences and care that their well-being is in danger. 
and think that this is something more than just a bunch of rich millionaires playing football. No, there are ramifications to why we play these sports. Mm -hmm. There's reasons to why we play these sports. We've gotten out of situations because of these sports. There are bridges to better things, wealth and prosperity and things we've never had. But that don't mean, like, we also shouldn't have proper treatment, right? right? So, like, the federal government would actually have to give a damn for Jan to have an end goal. Right now, mm-hmm. she's a bully pulpit. So it takes reporters, it takes leaks, it takes lawsuits, like the NFL has one right now, to make lawmakers then care from their own pedestal. Is this um, an issue that has sort of widespread traction among, I mean, Jan Schakowsky's a Democrat, among the Democratic Party, or is it actually even... You know, a congresswoman who's acting within a minority in her in her own party. It's with it's with it's 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 so it's so small. It is a Democratic congresswoman from a football city that is on a committee that cares that's supposed to care about sports, who's on a subcommittee that cares about consumer issues, Mm -hmm. (laughs) who then has one of three other Dems who consistently step out on this. So it's usually her, Frank Pallone, Deanna DeGette and Gene Green from Texas. Those four are it. When Walt, not, that's it. That's it. That's it. Now the last chair of the Energy and Commerce Committee was more apt to hearing sports issues, but right now, as the ACA is going on, as we're doing more and more markups of driverless cars on the Energy and Commerce Committee, <laughs> there seems to not be a space for sports unless mm-hmm. it is in the best interest of both parties. And this year so far, the only thing that was in the best interest of both parties was having Michael Phelps come to Congress and talk about why doping is bad. Yeah, which is you know something we already knew. <laughs> I, I I um was struck though by one uh, quote here that um, sums up why I'm now a new fan of Jan Schakowsky. She likes the Bears, but she hates Jay Cutler. Thank Fair. goodness he's gone. She says, "I don't think anyone in Chicago misses him." I'm sorry. Truer words were never spoken. She also not sorry. Like she's, former, she's strongly as not former sorry resident of of Chicago. Uh, Yes, I got some bad Truer news for you. Their quarterback were... situation is not going to get much better. I mean, but... no, maybe... I know, but he's just but such Jay a tool. Cutler, Jay Cutler is also garbage water, so yeah, it doesn't yeah, really yeah, matter. He's he like, yeah, he's bad. also just like a garbage person, yeah, which is what I totally has. Fair. I'm less concerned, honestly, even with the with the athletic <laughs> ability than just. Yeah. I mean, he'll be he'll be broadcasting your football game, so you won't you will still be seeing Jay Cutler. Hey, let me ask you a question. Let me. I mean, because we should we'll spend some more time on the Congress stuff, but like, does the NFL get it? Because, I mean, it, it is sort of like, it's right in front of us now. I mean, so, the NFL has always got it to, mm. to a point, right? It's just whenever it's in the best interest of rich white men to care about issues that don't befit them, right? Like, they're not the ones on the field right. mashing their brains in right. for, for you know, the entertainment of masses. I mean, it's a multi-billion people, dollar right? industry, oh, yeah. too. So. It, is, it, is, it, is a comp- it is an industry that is more, I think it's worth more than, than like, FedEx, you know what Jesus. I mean? Like, like if you put them in the Fortune 500, I think they'd be top 100. Jeez. So the, the NFL, you know, even if we get to the end of this lawsuit that's happening right now with players getting this buyout, the NFL's not going to care that they give money out to retired players. Right. They're not going to care that their product is dangerous. They're not going to care that they make a profit off violence because you care that they make a profit off violence. It's not like y'all going anywhere. This is the most popular sport in America. You know, this I'm, is a behemoth of a thing. This ain't going nowhere. So the NFL cares yeah. as much as it has to, just like it cares as much as it has to about breast cancer and a bunch of other things they don't care about. Military. Yeah. I mean, like I remember that, that yeah. LeBron James kind of lent his voice, this was a while ago, to the discussion by saying that he wouldn't let his sons 
play football, that it's not a financial necessity. And I mean, a, I mean, that's cute for Bron. I like, know Bron is six foot eight, two hundred seventy five. Yeah. Which pounds, I get, but but I was, basketball the kid. reason I asked why, but I even mentioned his comments is: Are there any kind of you know prominent? you know, former NFL players who've lent their voice to this debate or people who have tried to bring about, you know, more of that reckoning among the institution itself? There are so many. Um, There are so many. Jim McMahon, who played for the 85 Bears and was a Super Bowl champion there, has come out on documentaries saying how he gets his spine checked and his mind checked. He gets MRIs like once a month because he felt like something was wrong with him. A former uh, enforcer for the 72 Dolphins just came out in Sports Illustrated this week and gave a full 8,000-word story about how he is losing his mind (laughs) because of just continued hits. Lance Briggs, who used to play for the Bears, came out and said that he thought he had CTE. So the problem right now with the science, with, with Dr. Amaki's research and others from like the University of Miami and others, is the fact that we are not far along enough in the science where you can detect CTE in the living person, mm. yeah. right? Like there are experiments, like like they can, you know, uh, pour this protein in your brain, and if it turns a certain color and it discovers like a tau element, then you know there's a chance you have a degenerative brain disease, right? But generally, when they find that, it's too late. Mm. So the problem isn't with more people speaking out. The problem is that football is going to die. The future of football is grim. Football's not going to die in the next five years, not the next 10 years, maybe not in the next 20 years. But football is dying in the same way that heavyweight boxing was dying. And the question is to the league and to the players and to the parents is that what is the next step for you as the consumer to say this is tolerable and this isn't? We're going to accept this and we're not. My kid's going to keep playing Pop Warner and my kid's not. And a lot of that probably comes down to socioeconomical breakdowns, race, disadvantages, you know, mm-hmm. privilege, etc. So... Like, a black mom in San Antonio whose kid might have a way out of poverty probably is not going to tell her son to stop playing football. But a rich mom from Bluebell, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia, who has the means to let her kid play travel soccer, might be like, listen, little Jimmy, you're going to take that helmet off. Right. You know, it's it's different for different folks, you know, like— if your kid won't play sports and you don't live in in a in an environment that says they can't for some reason, why would you stop them? Mm-hmm. Why would you stop your kid from playing football? Mm. It's tough, man. Like it's it's it's, it's really tough. Like I like I got two boys. One of them is an athlete, but like we don't play football. But that's fine. We, right. we have that privilege. Right. Yeah. You know, like if you know, what I mean, like certain circumstances, is football any worse than the neighborhood you live in? Is football any worse than the fact that your family only brings in $40,000 a year between two people? Mm -hmm. You know, football is the least of certain people's worries. So it's kind of become this thing that's boiled to the surface, not only with admissions like this to Jan Schakowsky, but also to this this gaggle of parents, mostly white, who have had these incidents and these injuries and their Mm -hmm. kids have they've lost their sons and the most horrific things. And no one's wishing it or saying you're worse off because you happen to be white. It's just that you have the privilege to have the means to say, yo, I'm in this space. Right. And this has also happened to me. Right. A lot of other folks ain't thinking about it that right. way. They're thinking about bridges to get to and, a college and, scholarship. And, you know, race, I mean, they, there's a certain privilege that's like about having a voice that people are more inclined to, to just listen to, you know, when it starts affecting. That, that's the kind of like when it starts affecting the, you know, kind of well-to-do suburban white families, that's when people start paying attention. I mean, yeah. that's, a, that's a reality. That's a reality. reality. That's, that's they got the start, means to pay attention. Start paying so attention to that y- issue. You said the NFL is dying. Right, and I, I agree. Football, not the or, sorry, football sorry, 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 but football's dying. Football's yeah. dying. What is it that finally? I mean, it's it's going to take a long time, right? But what is it that Decades. finally catches up? Somebody going down the field. 
Mm. You got you got two things. You got two things that's going to happen. With the invention of Facebook Live, tragically, uh, more and more incidents, the incident in Cleveland, uh, more and more incidents have, 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 we've seen them in public, in the public eye, and they haven't been caught by Facebook or other, other outlets, excuse me, that we're stopping these things. Eventually, somebody might kill themselves on Facebook Live or in a live venue like that. Mm. Or somebody's going to die on the field. Yeah. Mm. Folks have died on the field in college, in high school, mm-hmm. every year. Yeah. When it happens in the NFL, with 20 million people watching, with highlights, with Fox, with Fox Sports being able to play that tape back consistently, yeah. with pundits upon every hour on ESPN breaking that down, shaming different leagues, and how could you let this happen? Yeah. We will have a long, long public record of how we let this happen. Mm. But football doesn't die because we think football should die, because we are progressive-minded and liberal for why football should die. They're all good reasons. Football is going to die because the middle American white person that likes football but also doesn't have the means to probably continue to play football but was also probably a high school football star says, listen, fam, I, I can't do this no more. It ain't going to be because we say it. Yeah. That was actually was struck by one of the points you just made. Pundits kind of dissecting this over and over again. Um, if there is, in fact, a tragedy with 20 million people watching or however many people it would be. Do they? Because I, I understand the NFL's prerogative to try and sweep this under the rug. I mean, it's a, it's a, as you mentioned, a significant deal to even acknowledge any correlation um, in player health and the sport itself. But all the pundits who sit there, you know, when when NFL season rolls around, is this not? I mean, it, well, it, in terms of their own lack of, you know, attention toward this issue. Where does that stem from? Is it why why do you not hear more on the side of the analysts on the part of the people who like yourself are are journalists too? Because folk like their money. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, like what what, 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 I mean, what, yeah. what what benefit does it give to like Kevin Burkhart or or a yeah. Fox announcer to <laughs> consistently every week say yeah. yo? It's going to suck when 500 car crashes happen on this football field today. Yeah, yeah. Like, like they don't get any benefit from doing that. They, they You know, it, it hurts them. They don't have honor. Like, it doesn't matter yeah. for things like that. But, like, for different reporters, um, it's our job. Like, this is the intersection that I, I cover, you right, know? So right. it's nothing. Like, I'm not losing my job for doing this, you right, know? right. A Fox announcer might get something in the in, in the little headset and say, "Hey, fam, uh, don't right. hey, chill. Yeah, All right, chill. Right. This is not what people are tuning in for. You know, it's so, not yeah. it's not beneficial. You lose viewers. You lose money. Right, right. And eventually, this all comes down to you gaining or losing money. I want to ask you. We've been talking about the uh, Trump uh, presidency, as as one does. And <clears throat> last time you and I sat here, when I was in this chair, um, we were talking about advocacy, more political advocacy on the part of athletes. And, you know, this was at the time of taking a knee during the, the national anthem and, and just forms of, of protest uh, that you were starting to see, especially among, you know, black athletes. And, and I wanted to, around the conversation to the criminal justice, um, I wanted to know what, sort of response have you seen from athletes to this new administration, if any? Oh, dog, they hate it. It's so great. Um, <laughs> but have, it's they so been, great. have they been, you know, using their voice or, or engaging any form of protest? I mean, at this point, right, so we're, we're now, 
we're no longer at the start of, of this new or renewed age of athlete activism. We're now mm-hmm. sort of in the middle, yeah. right? Yeah. We're sort of at this point now where Colin Kaepernick might not get a job next year. So yeah. now the ramifications are very large. Like, it was on and popping when everybody still had their job in the middle of the year. Like, that was dope, you know? Mm-hmm. Folks wasn't losing all their money. Like, you know, it was whatever, right? Now it's the offseason. Now folks need to train. Now we're about to get back to another NFL season, at least in the specter of, you know, football activism. Martellus Bennett has said many things. He skipped the White House. 35 Mm -hmm. Patriots players did not go, 34 or so. That was dope. They all say they have different family reasons, moving and things like that. And, you know, whatever, whatever lie you have to tell, that's fine. Um, You know, the White House spun it a certain way about, you know, a certain picture the New York Times put out. You know, everybody was very angry. And, you know, it was one of the worst White House celebrations I've ever been to. It was absolutely horrible. Like, it it was so musty in there. Like, it was the worst thing. Your boy Jamie Benson was in there, you know what I'm saying? And and he didn't really mess with it either. So, you know, shout out Boston, you know, while we're here. But all I'm saying is... The Trump presidency has not, you know, no no one is any angrier or, or speaking any louder than they were in November. Mm. Right. Like this is something that shows consistency. The onus is always going to be, again, on the black players and brown players and those yeah. who are not white people to speak about issues that plague them. Right. So currently they ain't as any more aggrieved than we done been for the last 30, 40 years. So we still aggrieved. You mm. know, no, nothing's changed. It's the NBA playoffs. Folks are still mad about racism. Life goes on, right? But, like, until Donald Trump says anything specifically egregious in the terms of athletics, outside of concussions, which he's done plenty of, folks got basketball and football to play. Yeah. I I, I do think that um, his – because he's said some stuff about Kaepernick. Trump has. Yeah, he has. Takes a lot of pride in, in, in the fact that he has shamed Kaepernick. It's real dope, real spicy. It's it's pretty transparent what's right. going on though. You know what I mean? Like he's clearly trying to say like it's dog whistle would be a little too generous, I think. I mean, Donald Trump is one of the most transparent humans yeah. that you can right. possibly ever get, right? Like yeah. he takes pride in going to these rallies like it's still election season and campaign season and saying, you know, I've talked to owners. They don't want to cross me. Right. Try and cross me. I'm going to talk that grease at your fan base. Yeah. You know, I think that, I listen, even though it's like completely lewd and wild as hell, it's also the funniest thing. Yeah. Like, it, it is. is the best, funniest thing you yeah. can possibly. Like, what president is coming out into these streets and being like, listen, fam, I dare you to sign Kaepernick. Yeah. I dare you. I mean, it's sad and it's pathetic, but when you really strip it down, it's the best possible thing, though. Yeah. It is the best. Like, like, if we're trading actual good White House parties for, like, championship teams yeah. with Trump just talking grease at random teams for, like, the next four years, like, okay. <laughs> All right. Like, I, 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 like, Obama knew how to throw a real good White House celebration, and those were dope, right? But, like, if Trump is going to, I'm waiting for these 7.30 a.m. tweets. I hate the Marlins. <laughs> <laughs> y'all trash. Jeb Bush ain't never going to buy y'all. <laughs> What? Like, I, I, I want to live in a world where we get at least, like, 20% of these 8 a.m. Trump tweets also being, like, hateful, scornful, bad Nebraskan fan sports tweets. Like, I hate the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Y'all been 8-8 eight eight all your lives. Like, what? I'm, sh- you crazy. I want the that. The second that Trump tweets Roll Tide, I got to get off Twitter. Well, and, I, and you know what? It's I would very relish, likely to happen. I would, I would relish 
if Trump showed up with Saban somewhere. Oh God! Not even on the sideline, just like 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 a halftime like 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 panning from the White House. Like I want to tell my good friend Nick Saban. Oh, oh God! Gosh. To have a great season, go Tide. <laughs> no. That would be great. That would be the best thing. That would be the best thing. Did Tyler just do that? Trump? Would be oh the best, best thing. That was really good. That was surprisingly good. That would be the best thing. Yeah, it would be. I, that's I, like, that's something that I got. Like Jamie and I talk about this all the time because he's a big Boston. Shout guy. out Boston. He's the a big Boston guy. Tyler and, and Belichick is the devil. Tom Brady is a weirdo. But like Tom Brady I, just. I, I mean, understand. I know like, his but, mom is is actually ill, but he pieced, he pieced out of. Oh, that. he did not show up. Yeah, I mean, he definitely I mean, pieced I mean, out but, of that White House ceremony. He didn't write that letter. Like no, he, he, no, like he had his he had his suit on. It was like five thirty a.m. He's about to get on the team bus with his boys. Yeah. And Giselle said, "Tom, where are you going?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no. And Giselle told him to sit uh, down. No. And she wrote a nice little note. Yeah. Like Tom Brady, not thankful. You no. Know what I mean, like Tom Tom Brady is like not like a good person. Right? But like, so, like at some point, like. Trump is sort of forcing some of us to reconcile with the fact that some of the people that we admire and we like are kind of not great people. Is he? See, that's that's kind of the question. Well, he right? should like, be. I guess that's. I mean, so so like in the in the general, real good, like wholesome world, Donald Trump's horrible words are making us reconsider these sports stars that we've always known are horrible, right? Yeah. But this is the new re. Like Donald Trump's the bridge to why we think they're horrible. For some people, yeah, but like. If you a Boston boy that's always been on Team Tommy Strain, yeah. why would you change now? Yeah. You win in championships. Sure. Jamie, and, how do you feel? I mean, Jamie will live. <laughs> he got a ring, don't he? Five of them. Oh. Right, right. He got a ring. So, so Jamie, not that mad. Shout out Atlanta, too, by the way. I'm sorry for y'all lost. That was horrible. <laughs> that was bad. That was the worst thing. <laughs> man. You know oh, what I will man. say though, on the complete opposite. Not that I'm trying to uh, ride too hard for my teams, but like, oh, okay. Greg yeah. Popovich has shown uh, yes, yes, that yes. like, like he's taking a pretty serious and outspoken role. Steve in Kerr, the NBA. Steve Kerr, Steve as well. Kerr yeah. is like a standout human being. So like on the same, like at the same time that Trump has shown who some of these bad people are, some of the good guys yeah, are showing the themselves guys. too. Yeah. To be fair, it's it's very hard for me to super care about white men with power speaking about black issues because right. there is no consequence to Greg Popovich or Steve yeah. Kerr for them to say things that they have no control over nor affects them, yep. right? Like, it's great to see in a sport that has marketed itself to the black body and liberalism and takes great pride in being more democratic than the conservative vehicle that is the NFL, but I could give less than one damn if Greg mm. Popovich is speaking about black issues. I would give so many more dams if I were Kawhi Leonard say half of what he said because it's more so about representation. So if we're in a space right now where white Democrats, moderates, and liberals are saying the things that they're saying and invoking themselves in this resist movement that has become so tangibly powerful to a sense, right? I would care so, so, so much more if the representation of the black body was overwhelming. Do you think that that Kawhi Leonard is contending with the challenge that you spelled out that he could not have a job if he's too vocal? This is the NBA. They can say whatever they want. Yeah, the NBA is a little bit different. They they can say whatever they want. But the thing is this like, yes, there are still and there will always be black and brown players who feel as though they cannot speak about these issues because they will lose their money, their endorsements, their sponsorships, their fans. That's always going to be a thing, right, in this pseudo-slave game that is sports. But the other side of that is that, again, the onus is not on them to say Mm -hmm. what they want. If you step into the street and you say you want to talk about race and and, in your profession and your profession is entertainment, we welcome you, Mm. right? But I don't care left or right if you don't. It'd be real, real dope, though, if you did. And when you do speak about it, don't be like LeBron James and Rod Defense. 
either be very active on one side or be very active on the other. Mm. Well, I feel like this has been a fascinating discussion. I didn't expect anything less from the great Tyler Times. And I'm going to probably see you soon, given our annual NBA Finals hangouts are upon us. Mm. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more and follow Tyler. Tyler Ricky Times. We just need everybody to do their job. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Welcome back to The Bill Press Show. I'm Sabrina Siddiqui, political reporter at The Guardian, filling in for Bill on Friday. And I'm very excited about our next guest because she shares the great joy of, and Mikey's having worked at, but working at HuffPost, as it's now called, (laughs) Uh, foreign affairs reporter Jessica Schulberg. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. And uh, you can read her work online at HuffingtonPost.com. Dot com. Follow her on Twitter at Jessica Shulb. Ran out of room. Yeah, there you go. Uh, we've been talking Comey, 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 and breaking news, uh, the president has tweeted some more thoughts. Peter, break it down. All right, so the last tweet I read was, as a very active president, this is what Trump tweeted. Uh, as a very, I didn't, I didn't write this. <laughs> the most uh, active president in the history of presidents. As a very active president with lots of things happening, it is not possible for my surrogates to stand at podium with perfect accuracy, dot, dot, dot. Next tweet. Maybe the best thing to do would be to cancel all future press briefings and hand out written responses for the sake of accuracy. And then... He says, James Comey better hope there are no tapes of our conversations before he starts leaking to the press. Mm. Interesting. Glenn Thrush, who is a reporter at New York Times, tweeted that he interprets this, I'm a very active president and it's not possible to have surrogates appointed with perfect accuracy as, a, as an apology to Pence. That, that is actually, this, is actually, this is actually Trump's you know, way of acknowledging that there was an issue with the communication shop uh, because Mike Pence was operating off of that inaccurate information. Um, I feel like that's a stretch. Yeah, and I think that might yeah. be a stretch. This is like one of, those, be a quantum one of those things of people thinking Trump has this like grand strategy, secret <laughs> messaging, when he's probably just kind of emotionally unhinged yeah. and tweets whatever the hell is running through his mind at the time. Yeah, like, like this whole idea that this, he, you know, he retweeted that Rosie tweet, mm-hmm. Rosie O'Donnell about yeah. firing Comey yesterday. People were like, ah, He's been waiting for the day. Here's the distraction. <laughs> oh, he's right. trying to pivot. No, he's not. No, he's not. He's just a doddering Fox News grandpa who... Like has been dying to find a way to bring uh, Rosie on, back. On that Rosie tweet, can we point out that this is an example of what this very active president, who's too busy oh, to dispatch God. his aides to tell honest accountings of his ongoings? Yeah, this is this is what he's so busy doing. This is what he's busy doing. And right. Phil Yabbit, what a time! Who is watching the or listening to the program? Tweeted at us. Biggest thing on Twitter before Comey was Pence rolling out his pet bunny. That's all you need to know about Pence. <laughs> Marlon Bundo. 
is the name know. of the bunny, by the I way. I didn't know that. By the way, uh, if you put together a list of the worst pets that you could possibly own, rabbits, <laughs> bunny? rabbits are near the very top. Bird, birds might be worse. Birds might they be worse. They also but... poop a lot. They're yeah. not cuddly. Yeah. They live forever. They do. No, that's I don't, a good I don't point. understand people who have pet snakes, but I also am definitely afraid of snakes. Turtles but pet snakes bad. don't do anything. Like, like, they just why? sit there. Why like, would you? Like, why? What, is, no the point? what is the point of happy having one? You feel badass. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you're very so, you know, we're talking about, because the president has now himself invoked standing behind the podium and speaking with accuracy. Sarah Huckabee Sanders most certainly did not. <laughs> Following in Trump administration. press, uh, press secretary uh, who was out there in this very significant week. And one of the things she said that was particularly striking Yesterday more so because she kind of had to try and explain um, this notion that there was um, a growing opposition to Jim Comey amid the rank and file at the FBI. And Andrew McCabe, who you know is now the acting FBI director, testified before the Senate and was asked specifically about this notion. Director Comey enjoyed broad support within the FBI and still does to this day. And this was in response to, I believe it was Martin Heinrich asking him, a senator from New Mexico, if it was accurate, as the White House had asserted, uh, to say that he had lost support. Uh, Jessica, I know you have written about this specific claim. And what have you found in your reporting? I think, well, one thing is it's, it's hard to say the FBI did or did not back Comey. Of course, there were going to be people who were upset with his conduct in July, um, both people who were upset that he publicly criticized Hillary Clinton in the way that he did, and people who were upset that he didn't recommend bringing charges against her. Um, the same goes for in October. Some people were really upset when he notified Congress about an updated uh, new emails they found related to the Clinton investigation. Um, but I think that, A, this claim by Sarah Huckabee Saunders that he just completely lost support within the FBI, one, does not appear to be true. And two, there's just no plausible way that she would know that. There's there's nothing in her history that suggests that she has these deep ties to, to FBI agents. And it's just inconceivable that a disgruntled FBI agent would call the White House to complain, get patched through to the deputy White House press secretary and say, look, we're, we're really unhappy. I mean, they're, they're, they're supposed to be, there's this very intentional wall between the White House and the FBI um, for reasons that we're now seeing. It, it would be probably a fireable offense for an FBI agent to go and gripe about the FBI director directly to the White House press shop. They have their own channels for reporting uh, their dissatisfaction internally. Mm. And it's um, also remarkable because in the same breath, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said, you know, she's spoken to countless people countless. at the FBI. Can't even count them. And then moments later said, I don't even know that many people <laughs> the FBI. I can't um, count them, but I don't know that many. <laughs> I know she's like asking for an SNL parody, right. which, you know, actually it'd be great if they just had Melissa McCarthy also do her, right. you which know, like, I think she would very effectively be able to She's do. hosting Saturday Night Live tomorrow night, yes. we should remember. Which is just a gift. Yeah. yeah, but you know it's so <laughs> funny. We all this, need it this week. Yeah, seriously, there was like this, there was this narrative that uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders might take over for Spicer, <laughs> which I think has been pretty effectively killed. I think she did such a bad job yesterday. You think because she did yeah. a bad job in the sense that the things that she said were not true, 
which is not much different than a typical Sean Spicer briefing. From what I saw, she was a lot calmer than Sean Spicer. She maintained her composure a lot more. But I think you're right. I, I definitely think she, if we're talking about... Trump doesn't care if they're telling the truth about stuff. Trump he just doesn't likes, care about like, that. How they but, look. but I think Trump likes the aggressive nature that Spicer took. And... He doesn't like how flustered Spicer gets. Like yeah. He's visibly rattled yeah. by his interactions with the That's press. That's true. He's not like a confident um, defender. But I don't think I don't think that Sanders did a much better job. I don't think that she, let me put it this way. If the press briefings are really for an audience of mm-hmm. one of Donald Trump, I don't know that she proved to him that she can be as aggressive yeah. as Spicer which is, I'm I think not sure who could do this. I don't job either. Well. Like I mean, it's a hard a it's a hard agenda to defend and then, you know, these guys were briefed about the Comey decision what like an hour before it broke like they yeah. literally yeah, they have, have no, no idea time. what's they going no on. They have no idea what's going yeah. on. They, and they never will. I mean, right. they they signed up for it. Uh, so no sympathy, but they will never know what's going no. on because way, this is someone who's just going to, you know, chain flip the script right. when he goes out and, for example, as he did yesterday and speaks to Lester Holt and undermines the entire rationale right. that the White House had and then throws laid them out. under the bus. That I they... was going to say, like the <laughs> yeah. fact that he essentially came out today. I mean, he threw him under the bus by mm-hmm. contradicting everything they said, but but today with but his then tweets, it on them. kind of came out and said like, yeah, my staff can't be accurate because mm-hmm. they're busy. Yeah. <laughs> Not because I told them to say something that I later contradicted in yeah. a public interview yeah. and in my own so we were statements. We were spending a lot of time this morning kind of talking about the obvious uh, cloud that's been looming over Comey, which, which has, in terms of Trump and how Trump sees it, mm-hmm. that... You know, Comey has been tasked or was tasked with overseeing the FBI's investigation into potential ties between Trump and Russia. Certainly, you know, with uh, at least conversations we know did that did occur between associates of Trump and campaign aides and Russian operatives. Um, Now there will be a process to replace Comey. And I'm not sure how many people take comfort in Jeff Sessions being part of this interview process because he had allegedly recused himself. Mm -hmm. When it was learned that he did not disclose his own uh, meetings with the amb- Russian ambassador to the U.S., but you wrote, um, along with friend of the program Ryan Riley, uh, that even prior to this focus on Comey and the FBI investigation, Congress, which through the House Intelligence Committee and the Senate Intelligence Committee, has two separate but parallel investigations of its own into Russia, uh, it has also hit a roadblock, or at least in, in your piece, you say, is actually very limited mm-hmm. in its own capacity to investigate Russia. Can you tell us more about why? Well, we'll start with the House one, since that's the, uh, the most <laughs> limited, as you put it. Yes. Um, as you'll recall, what was it, last month? Uh, Devin, D- Nunes. Devin Nunes, who's the chairman of that committee, um, went on this... dropped off the radar. Yeah, huh? went on this secret late-night trip to the White House where... Uh, he was asked to view some intelligence reports that he later held up as evidence that former President Barack Obama did, in fact, spy on the Trump campaign in kind of an inappropriate way. He says that he wasn't trying to back up Trump's claim that he was wiretapped, but that's certainly what it looked like. Uh, Eventually, other members of the committee, including the Democrats, were able to view those reports that Nunes was talking about. And they said, there's nothing inappropriate here. This is ridiculous. You're in bed with Trump. You're trying to undermine this entire investigation. And he was forced to recuse himself. That effectively stalled all their work for weeks. Um, The ranking member, Adam Schiff, and Devin Nunes wouldn't even appear in public together. 
things apparently have been kind of back on track since Nunes was replaced in that investigation. But I think a lot of people don't really view uh, the House committee as the most serious investigative body. Mm. So let's go to the Senate there. They the Democrats, at least in the Senate, were behind the report in the CIA's enhanced interrogation techniques, the, the torture program which is widely considered to be kind of an authoritative report on that program. And there is a higher level of bipartisan cooperation within the committee um, than what we're seeing in the House. But at the same time, they've moved exceedingly slow. They have less than a dozen staffers who are committed to this full time. Um, There's been arguments internally about whether or not they need to hire some kind of prosecutor to help assist in the investigation. Um, They just a couple weeks ago finished their kind of first comb through of the intelligence reports, haven't actually done any interviews with any of the witnesses that they want to question. So it's hard for the American public to take a lot of confidence in the fact that Congress will be like this independent minded body who's going to get to the bottom of all this. Uh, The Republicans on the Senate committee seem to be focusing more on looking at the intelligence community's January report, in which they found that the Russians were behind the DNC hack. Uh, The Republicans want to go back and sort of retrace their work and see how did you get to that conclusion, where the Democrats obviously, at least publicly, are are more interested in investigating these possible ties between the Trump campaign and Moscow. Mm. And do you um, see any indication, because this is what at least Trump has implored Republicans to do um, that Republicans in the Senate are more because I got this from the Sally Yates hearing more Mm -hmm. interested in the leaks who is behind the leaks which Mm kind of takes the onus off of Trump and makes him more of the victim victim, right that's been I think even a bigger problem in the house Um, we saw it was Trey Gowdy was sort of leading the charge um, to get to the bottom of leaks even in brought up in a hearing to Comey several weeks ago that, you know, if, if a reporter publishes classified information, isn't that um, a criminal offense? Couldn't they be prosecuted for that? And Comey was just so visibly uncomfortable and mm. kind of was left to say that's just not really something that we do. Um, but yes, in the Senate, you, you've seen that too. Obviously, Ted Cruz is, is a big fan of going after leaks. I think the chairman of the Intelligence Committee, Richard Burr, Uh, for the sake of bipartisanship, has tried not to make that his focus. Um, But at the same time, I mean, the scope of these investigations, the stated scope, does include looking at inappropriate leaks of classified information. And that was sort of the bipartisan compromise that you needed to to have both parties sign on to this. By the way, when we're talking about the the leaks, that that last tweet that Trump sent, James (laughs) Comey better hope that there are no tapes of our conversations before he starts leaking to the press. Is there some sort of insinuation that the that Donald Trump is taping He's going full on Nixon? <laughs> like full Nixon. Did is he taping conversations in the White House? He certainly is hinting that that might be something that is happening. That would appear to be what he is hinting at. Like I don't want to look too much into it. Like I know that people do that a lot with well, Trump. Well, I remember there was Where else um, would those tapes have be, be There was from? a report in the early weeks of the new administration that White House staffers were using these, you know, uh, services or apps uh, that would enable messages that they sent from their phones to be deleted Mm -hmm. immediately because you remember the leaking that was coming, that still is, frankly, but in the first few weeks that was coming out about infighting, you know, the camps and Steve Bannon versus Reince Priebus and chaos behind the scenes. And uh, they, they had this 
crackdown internally, or so they said. I mean, again, they're still leaking left, right, and center. But <laughs> that the, the staffers that were so paranoid about being tracked, about having their communications monitored, mm-hmm. that they were um, just trying to find these back channels to communicate, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is within of itself uh, remarkable because, it, again, leaves open the possibility that all of their communications are being right monitored. But get, getting back to that Trump tweet, I mean, oh, to, to believe that is to believe that this conversation actually did happen, which is that <laughs> yeah. Comey, Comey actually did tell right. Trump, you, no, sir, don't, don't worry, Mr. President, you are definitely not in trouble. Like, you have nothing to worry about. And just the fact that Trump is running around saying that is insane. I mean, that would I be I actually asked him, yes. Huge, I said, huge... if it's possible, would you let me know, am I under investigation? He said, you are not under investigation. That would be a fireable offense. That would be a reason to fire Comey. The FBI cannot go to the sub, the potential right. subject of investigation or someone who could be implicated in an investigation and say, don't worry, you have nothing to worry about. So just the fact that Trump is saying that about Comey could be incredibly damaging to his reputation if anybody took anything Trump said seriously, especially for someone like Comey, who's built his entire career around cultivating this image of being politically independent and kind of above the fray on all this. Well, you know, we were talking at the start of the program, and it kind of brings us full circle to Comey basically pushing back now through associates (laughs) who are speaking to the New York Times about this dinner Mm -hmm. that Trump mentioned which was one of the three conversations in which Trump claims Comey told him he was not under investigation um, to put out a different story, Mm -hmm. which is that Trump was demanding loyalty uh, over and over again through this meal. And Comey uh, pledged his honesty, but refused to pledge loyalty. Um, Why not speak out if you're James Comey at this point? Is it just to you know, uphold some sort of tradition or that appearance of independence? I think Comey's playing the long game. He's got he's got enough people internally who can or enough allies that will do that bidding for him that he can still get his side of the story out there without necessarily attaching his name to it. I don't think he wants to get into sort of like a back and forth. Uh, I'm trying to think of a more appropriate term than. Right. I don't think he wants to get into a back and forth with Trump saying he, he said she's... A, he doesn't want to get into yeah. a pissing match with Trump. Pissing I mean, like, after, after this decades-long career, like, why would he kind of sully his image by stooping to that level? This is true. And also, I guess if you're him and you're thinking that Congress actually might look into mm-hmm. the circumstances surrounding his firing, that you do have some Republicans, at least, even if right. a small faction, uh, if you make it appear as though this actually might be partisan or might be a political fight, right. then you can also undermine you know, those concerns, the real concerns that at least some Republicans right. have raised. Um, I do have to say, though, in that New York Times report, one of my favorite pieces of it, or like anecdotes, was that kind of before they got into the loyalty yeah. aspect, <laughs> they're kind of like discussing that Trump and Comey are sitting at this meal talking about things like, crowd sizes yeah. like you know can, is this the crowds at his campaign rallies yeah. and I'm just thinking like you just picture Comey being like dear god yeah, what, what have I gotten myself the FBI. <laughs> and, and in that article I think it was also important that they mentioned Comey didn't want to go to that dinner because he didn't want to risk the appearance of yeah. being seen as partisan or being seen as too close to the president I mean we really can't stress enough how much the FBI prides itself on being independent from the White House the FBI 
director is not supposed to be loyal to the White House, even in normal times when the White House isn't potentially implicated in this huge scandal. There's supposed to be this tremendous wall of independence. Um, And the article said that Comey felt he couldn't really turn down an invitation from the president Mm. a week after he was inaugurated. But he was deeply uncomfortable with that kind of arrangement and did try to keep it under wraps. I think especially given the continued distaste among a significant faction of people, but especially Democrats, over how Comey handled the letter on Mm -hmm. October 28th. Um, in essence, revealing that there were emails that had been discovered in the Clinton server. In, then at that time, investigation had closed. And then we, we do know that it was a decisive moment, but he vigorously defended it mm-hmm. when he was testifying last week uh, before Congress. And I have to say, I mean, you've been watching some of these hearings and, you know, Comey is no longer in his, in his role, but... What did you make of of his testimony? What were your takeaways? Because I have never seen him that fired up. Yeah, it was it was striking how impassioned he well, was. Well, because the charge against him was that you you lean you tip the scales on the election, which is event, essentially saying you acted in a partisan way, mm. which is again what Comey has spent his entire career trying to uh, cultivate the opposite image. Um, unpopular opinion. I think Comey was in a pretty lose-lose situation. Mm. I think he was in this unprecedented situation in which the FBI had investigations into both people who are running for president. That's insane. And there's almost no way in which the FBI wasn't going to Mm -hmm. act in a way that sort of skewed things. And if you're Comey at the time and you're thinking, I mean, HuffPost, we said 98% chance Hillary wins. If you're you're Comey at the time and you... You're thinking she wins and people will look back. Yeah, exactly. And you're saying, we've discovered these new emails. It's going to leak that we are looking into this eventually. God forbid it leaks after the election. Hillary wins. And it looks like the FBI covered up something that could have hurt her chances of winning. I mean, that that would have as Comey said, been catastrophic. I, I'm not going to say whether I think Comey made the right or wrong choice, but I think there was a big chance of either choice he made backfiring. Why? Because he tried to answer it, but didn't necessarily quite get there. Mm-hmm. Why not also say that the Trump campaign, even if not Trump personally, mm-hmm. is also the subject of an investigation? His reasoning for that was that the investigation was still ongoing. Um, You'll recall the big July 5th press conference, which was super controversial because even though he recommended against criminal charges for Clinton, he just bashed her, just Mm. said that she was irresponsible for how she handled classified information. But at the same time, that investigation was essentially over. Yeah. Um, you, it, it's it's pretty easy to understand why law enforcement wouldn't want to tell someone they're being investigated while the investigation's ongoing. Right. Well, James Comey, end of the career, end of the road. But we'll talk about, I'm sure, there's a lot of time to come. This is the Bill Press Show. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.